This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church in Lubbock, Texas. For more information, visit faithchurchlubbock.com. Open up with me to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 14. It's where we'll begin today. We've got a group that's leaving right now. We prayed for them in the first service, going to, to Mexico, to the orphanage down in Juarez. So just agree with me here that, that God will give them traveling mercies, but they would be a light down there to speak to the little orphan's heart and just all the, the ones that live at the orphanage and work there, that it'd be a good time. Let's pray for them. They'll be back on Wednesday. All right. Uh, we've been talking about giving. I can tell you this in my own life, guys. It is one of the biggest changes that when I begin to live for something other than myself, the opportunity to, to, to give, to tithe, the opportunity to bless other people, just to serve God in a, in a way that's more than, than just me. And to knock all that selfishness out of me. So remember this last week we talked about that the subject of the Bible is the Lord, Father God. The verb of the Bible is giving. You can go back and look over and over. For God so loved the world that He gave. Jesus gave His heart and we're to give Jesus our hearts. But even Jesus was quoted in, in Acts twenty thirty five when He said it's more blessed to give than receive. Now it's very interesting that, that we can say those things, but do I live it? Do I give it? Now that word blessed can mean joyful, and it can mean happy. So it's more joyful to give than receive. Now let me ask you this. Is that true in your life? I don't believe Jesus would have said that if that wasn't possible or if that wasn't something He desired of us. Now, let's begin this morning in Deuteronomy chapter number 14, verse 22. And once again, I just let the Word of God teach you, okay? Let the Bible teach you because I want you to understand this this morning. That very verse and very scripture that's in your Bible is in my Bible also, okay? So I live by the same things that you do. Verse 22. You shall truly tithe. That's interesting, that statement right there alone. You shall truly tithe. He didn't say that you shall just tithe. He said you shall truly tithe. And how much? All. All. Now... We know that the tithe is 10%, so that's what he begins to tell us to do. And it's if he's saying, don't take any shortcuts, okay? Let's learn to honor God and do what he asks us to do. You shall truly tithe all the increase of your grain that the field produces year by year by year by year, okay? It's not once in a while. It's not when you feel like it. It's not when you have more than enough. It's just year by year. And so just in that sentence alone, we can understand this for the rest of our lives. God wants us to get a hold of this. Now, we could turn to Leviticus 27 and verse 30, and it says that the tithe is holy to God. Now, just let that sink in just a little bit. The tithe is holy to God. You know what that means? It's a big deal to God. It is a big deal to Him. And the tithe is a test. You know what the test is? That that first fruit of all your increase, that you have the opportunity to bring it to the house of God, or you keep it. And we understand this biblically, 
that when you bring your tithe to the house of God, you come underneath the blessing, according to to, uh, Malachi 3.10. When you choose to keep it, you fall under a self-imposed curse that's talked about in Malachi 3.9. This has been around a long time. Actually, God put this into order with even Adam and Eve. If you remember in the garden, He told them to. He said, listen guys, you can eat of any tree of the garden but that one. Stay away from that one. And if you obey, you're under a blessing. But we understand they didn't obey. And so they fell under a curse. I want you to watch this this next video. And it's a couple here over in our church that got a hold of tithing just about five years ago. Guys, you want to go ahead and show that? I want you to see this here. It'll speak to your heart. I'm Tony McGriff. And I'm Jackie McGriff. So we've been married... We'll be five years in October. We have two teenage boys and one little girl. We've been attending uh, Faith Christian Family Church for about five years. The family atmosphere here is just welcoming. and It didn't matter, you know, how we were dressed or what we drove up in or anything about our mixed family. They just welcomed us and showed us love. Growing up, I didn't really go to church. We went, you know, every now and then for holidays, but we never really were brought up in the church. I was never really taught about you know, God, I knew he existed. I was I didn't know how that relationship should work. So it was all, coming here was my first experience with learning what that meant to serve God. Um, growing up, we were always at church. Um, if the church was open, we were there. My parents always had us at church. About five years ago, I went to Awaken, and Tony and I were just dating at the time. And um, I came back, and I had made the decision that I was gonna, um, I was gonna come to church, and I was gonna bring my family to church. And I was ready to break it off with Tony, honestly. And um, so I came home, and I was excited. I was like, okay, this is what I'm gonna do. Um, and honestly, I didn't think he was gonna go for it. I didn't think he was gonna, you know, he had never been to church really. I came home, and I told him about it, and I said that this is what I was gonna do, and he said, okay. And he was he was on board from from then on out. My parents have always tithed, um, and I think for me it started whenever I was a single, and um, I just gotten divorced. And I think it was more of um, you know try me try me now in this, and it was kind of. Um, it was kind of a thing that I just, I did. And then I, I, well, I explained it to him and I think he was a little confused at first. And so he asked his parents about it. And um, he, it was funny because his dad was like, you know, we've been tithing for years. We may not go to church, but we do, we do send them a check. And so I think he was a little more comfortable once he knew that his parents had actually done it. And it wasn't just me and this crazy idea that I was going to send a check <laughs> to the church every month. Before we got married, we did, you know, premarital counseling, and we had talked about, I mean, we just made the decision that's what we were going to do from here on out, no matter no matter what, we were going to do that. It's it's really hard to describe what what happens. Um, in natural, I guess it doesn't really make sense when you're, you're the end of the month, the, the bills are more than what you make, but somehow everything gets paid if you tithe, so it's... It's kind of a, it was, at the first 
time when we started, it was kind of like a miracle every month because there's no way we should be able to, to pay for all the things we needed. And literally, our it didn't add up. Like the numbers, you think they don't lie? Well, there was more going out than was coming in. And so that's when you know that it works. Well, when we first decided to tie, she had come to me and said one of her dreams was she wanted to go to college. And really, financially, there was no way that it made sense but we just we prayed and we believed that you know this was a dream that God gave her so we went through with it and she's been I think on the dean's list every semester that she's been in school we've been blessed with scholarships and being able to, to pay for it and not having to take out really a lot of loans so it's it's been amazing about Three years ago, the bank that I worked at um, was bought out um, by a larger bank. Um, they downsized a lot of my department, um, it, and really, there wasn't a lot of job opportunities. So I was interviewing and looking. Um, they they all wanted to pay me less than what I was making, but in the end, it turned out that I got a 26% raise at the bank that I was working at, and a year after that another bank came looking for me and gave me another raise to to come and join them so that was about a year ago we've tried you know other things and then you know coming into this we knew that we wanted to be married we were um, committed to each other but also we needed something you know we wanted to be committed to God and to have that first and um, when you put that first and you tithe and um, it just all comes together. Like she said, we tried other things. I was working, you know, side jobs and trying to just make ends meet. And once you put your faith out there, it's amazing what, what he'll do to meet you. So as long as you are faithful in, in what he says, then everything will always work out. And I, I remember when his job was in jeopardy. And I asked him, I said, Tony, have you honored God? And he said, I have, Pastor. And I said, you just keep believing God and God, watch what God will do in your life. Now, I don't know if you caught it, but he said he got a 26% raise and then he got another raise. You know what that sounds like? It sounds like God to me. And God's no respecter of persons. But, once again, one of them grew up where their family was church. The other one didn't. So, you know what I'm telling you that? I don't care how you grew up. If you'll get a hold of this, watch what God will do. Now, let's continue in this passage here and it's going to teach us some things. Verse 23. And you shall eat before the Lord your God in a place where he chooses to make his name abide. Talking about the church. The tithe of your grain and your new wine and your oil of the firstborn of your herds and flocks that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. Now, as I read that statement right there, to learn to fear the Lord God always, to fear the Lord is a, is a way we worship God. But I don't know that I'd ever put it together that part of me tithing was the fear of God. When I honor Him that way, man, it is backing up and saying, Father God, I fear you. Does it always make sense? No. It was like Tony and Jackie said in there, that, that the tithe in the natural may not make sense. But that's where it comes from obedience and say, you know what, Father God, you said this. Keep reading. Verse 24. But if the journey is too long for you so that you are not able to carry the tithe, or if the place where the Lord your God chooses to put his name is too far from you, 
when the Lord God has blessed you, then you shall exchange it for money. Take the money in your hand and go to the place where the Lord your God chooses. Now, if you studied the time or the era this was in, most of their occupation had to do with agriculture. They were farmers, they were ranchers, they owned vineyards, and they owned orchards. And so part of their tithe would have been like having bushels of wheat, having a bunch of cattle. And so that's what they would literally give. So when they were blessed with so much, and it was inconvenient for them to travel a, large, a long distance with their tithe and offerings, he said, go exchange it for money. And then bring it. Now, look what goes on and takes place in verse number 26. And you shall spend that money for whatever your heart desires. For oxen or sheep, for wine or similar drink, for whatever your heart desires, you shall eat there before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice, you and your household. Now, here's a question for you today. Is it a joy for you to give? Because right here it says that you shall rejoice. Now, when you read here in in verse 26 what he's talking about here, it almost as if God is saying, go on a spending spree. Go buy this and go buy that. But when you look at it, what he's telling them is this harvest and the opportunity to tithe should be a celebration. It should be a party. It should be a feast. Why? Because of the end time harvest, how, Father God, you've blessed us. So he's basically telling them, go and buy food and drink and make it a celebration. And and the proof of of your, uh, your prosperity is because of what God's done. But you're giving that you're saying, Father God, we trust you. We believe in you. Now, notice the last part there, verse 26 again. And you shall rejoice, you and your household. And so when you look at this, guys, he's telling us that that part of my rejoicing is everything is because, Father God, you've blessed us. We had an opportunity to harvest. Now, I can't give out of a ritual, okay? And what I mean by a ritual is it just becomes something I do uh, day after day, week after week. Here you go, Father God. Here's my $112.33. Nothing more, nothing less. And if I'm not careful, that's what happens. And my giving can become very stagnant. God didn't want our giving to become stagnant. God wanted our giving to be like an adventure. Where you begin to say, thank the Lord, I get a give. And it comes back to this. It should be a joy. It should be a joy for every one of us in this room to give. And if it's not, I believe this is going to speak to us today. It's going to speak to you today. Now, here's a question I want to ask you this morning. Does your giving right now require faith? Or have you got where, you know what, it doesn't take any faith to give. And if you don't give at all, it doesn't take any faith. But I'm talking about right now, even if you do give... Does it take faith? Now, in my own life, guys, when we first started tithing and honor God, it took great faith. It rocked my little world. It rocked my mind where I was like, this doesn't make a lot of sense. But yet the Word of God tells me to do. So it took great faith there. But over the course of years, if I'm not careful, 
I can still be given my 10%, but it doesn't take any faith. And so one of the greatest givers that I know personally, he's a dairyman. And it is astounding what this man gives. But he said this to me one day. He said, if it doesn't take faith daily in my life, I'm of no good to God. Do you know that's Hebrews eleven six? Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. So what he was saying, even in his life, if he wasn't living where it required faith, he was no good to God. Now, there's another man that, that I don't know personally, but I know the story of his life. This man owned a business, and when he started opening his business, the Lord dealt with him to start giving. He started giving, and after he said about a year, he said, it wasn't no big deal for me to give 10%. It didn't take any faith. I just give it without even thinking about it. He said, the Lord started dealing with me and said, I want you to move up to 20%. He said, it stretched me. After a period of time, he said, I sense the Lord said, why don't you go to 30%. Took faith to go to 30%. He went to 50%. Took great faith. He went to 70%. He started giving away 70% of his increase. Now, every time I would read about this guy, it would literally rock my world to think that this guy had that much trust in God. Some of you say, where did he end up at? 90%. And I looked at that, and you know what I began to see? It began to stretch his faith. Now, the reason I'm telling you that, this is what God's doing to me again. Anytime I get comfortable in my giving, I sense the Lord say, you need to stretch on out there. You didn't. Now, this, this is not condemnation. It's just a, a point to ask, where are you at in your giving? That's the same with me. This is what's going on here, okay? Keep reading here with me. He goes on to say in verse 27, You shall not forsake the Levite or the priest who is within your gates, for he has no part nor inheritance with you. Now, understand about this. The Levites were the priests. It was forbidden for them to own land or to farm. It was forbidden for them to do anything but tend to the things of God, okay? Verse 28. At the end of every third year, you shall bring out the tithe of your produce of that year and store it up within your gates. You know what this was talking about? After every three years, whatever the produce was of your land, whether it was wheat, barley, corn, whatever, you were to bring a tithe of it. Within the city, they would set up these storage centers to bless people within the city. Now, I want you to note in here, in verse 29, who it's earmarked for. Pay close attention. And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, and the stranger or the non-Jew, the fatherless, the orphan, and the widow who are within your gates may come and eat and be satisfied. Think about this, guys. He was telling them, when you're so blessed in your life, I want you to take portion of that blessing and bless these other people. Now, an orphan or a widow, they're in the predicament they're in, not because of their choices, but because things that have happened in life. You find out always in the Scripture that God always has a special place in His heart for the vulnerable. That's why I love to see people go to the orphanage down in Mexico. And I'm not just saying there. 
But guys, when you begin to look at orphans, they play a special part in God's heart. What about widows? And so right here, God was saying, take care of them. You're blessed to be a blessing. Look how he ends this verse. That the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hand which you do. Do you know what God's saying there? You be obedient to what I've asked you to do, and I'm going to continue to take care of you. I'm going to bless your hand, everything you put it to do. So right here in this passage, we can see a couple things about giving. I'm to honor God with my tithe. I'm to honor other people, okay, in my giving. I'm blessed to be a blessing. You know, you don't have to show your hand up, but many times in our life, we, we may be raised where we're stingy. Where, man, it's mine. I'm not going to give that stuff away. And one of the things that God began to deal with my heart was to say, be a giver. Bless other people when you have opportunities and I move in your heart. Now go back with me to the New Testament, to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Thank God He's blessed me. Thank God He's blessed you where we have opportunity to be a blessing. I don't know about you. And I thank God daily I'm blessed. What He's done in my life, is He done with you? No, He's still working on me. Still pulling on me. Still dealing with my heart. And I believe that's what's going to happen in here for you today. Okay? I don't believe church was ever meant for us just to be comfortable. And I don't mean that we're not to welcome people here. But the only thing that will set you free is the truth. And a lot of times people don't want to hear the truth, okay? I'm going to tell you, when you come to church here, you're going to get the truth. You're going to get the Word of God. It may make you feel uncomfortable. That's what the Word of God does. But you know what it's doing? It's working on your heart. Every time when I read these scriptures throughout the week, do you not think God's not working on my heart? Man, He starts chiseling on me and working. It's the same way with you. Now, in this passage here, we're going to read two verses, and then we're going to go back and read some more. I would be willing to bet every one of us in this room, at one time or another, have either prayed this or quoted these two verses. Philippians 4, verse 13. And I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And we quote that all the time. Is it wrong to quote? No. But when I look at this right here, the power that, that Jesus has given me in you is sufficient to do His will in regard to His interests. He's going to strengthen me to do His will, okay? Look at verse 19, same chapter. And my God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now, a lot of times we've prayed that or said that, and we've had the thought, no matter what I do, God's going to supply all my needs. Be careful, okay? God will do exactly what He says He's going to do. But to understand this, where Paul is at and what Paul's talking about this, we've got to read a few verses before this, and then sandwiched in between verses 13 and 19, we'll get why the Apostle Paul said both of these things. Now turn back right there where you're at, same chapter, we're going to begin at verse 10. But to get there, I'm going to set the table for you a little bit. The Apostle Paul right here has been in in northern Turkey. One day he has a vision and this man says, please come to Macedonia and help us. Now Macedonia, guys, was in Greece. Okay? 
And so on the way to Macedonia, the first city there is a city called Philippi. This is where he writes this letter to the Philippians. After he leaves Philippi, he goes to a city called Thessalonica. This is where he writes the letter to the Thessalonians at. Now, all this can be found in Acts 16. Everything I just told you, that's Acts 16 if you want to study it. But I'm just paraphrasing to get you going. So Paul now has come into the region of Macedonia. Verse 10. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. Now at last, your care for me has flourished again. Now this is to these men and women at the church of Philippi. These weren't Jews, guys. These were a bunch of Greeks and Romans is who they were. And he says, your your care for me has flourished again. Meaning more than once. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need or implying, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. This is what Apostle Paul is telling them. So look at how he defines contentment here. I know how to be abased or to live humbly. And I know how to abound to live in prosperity. Everywhere in all things, I have learned both to be full. And I've learned to be hungry, both to abound and suffer need. So after he talks about he is to be content, whether he has a bunch or doesn't have nothing, look what he says. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So you know what this tells me? No matter what state me and you are in, understand this. God will give us the strength to whatever we're going through. This is what the Apostle Paul was saying. Then he goes on to say in verse 14, Nevertheless, you, you Philippians, have done well that you shared in my distress, that you shared in my troubles. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. And you know what this was, was like for me and you? Paul was like a missionary, guys. And he was going wherever the Holy Spirit instructed him to what? To tell people about Jesus. I believe in this passage it shows me and you another opportunity or area we can give. Whether it's to missionaries. Whether it's to missions themselves. You know, sometimes you may not be able to go to Bogota, Colombia. And that's where Warren Havens just got back. I want to hear the reports about it. But you know what? You can bless someone that will go. There's things that are going all around the world that if you will begin to, to bless missionaries, guys, I'm going to tell you, God will bless you. And understand this. It will be marked to your account. What do you mean? Well, let's just keep reading and you'll see. Verse 16. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Supplies, food, and clothing. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Did you know every one of us in this room have an account? And it's set up in heaven? Really? Keep reading here. Indeed, I have all and abound... I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the thing sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, 
well-pleasing to God, what was? Their giving. Now understand this. When these Philippians blessed Paul, and they sent, whether it was supplies, money, whatever it was, in God's eyes and in God's nostrils, it was a sweet-smelling aroma. It was a sacrifice that was well-pleasing to God. Now, God understands when you go to work every day that you work hard for your money. But He sees when you have the heart to give, it is a sacrifice, but God takes notice. He takes notice about not only how we give, but what we give. And so after they gave, look at verse 19. And my God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So you know why Paul prayed that? Because the Philippians understood giving. And because they understood giving, Paul said, man, I want to pray this over you guys right now. I want to pray that God continue to supply all your need. You know why? Because you're blessed to be a blessing. You're blessed to be a blessing, okay? And every time I give, God takes notice. That's the second or the third area you can see. I can invest even in the area of giving. Now go back with me in the Old Testament to 1 Chronicles chapter 29. 1 Chronicles 29. As you're turning to 1 Chronicles 29, that passage we just read in Philippians 4, that is cross-referenced into 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, 7, and 8, it talks about God loves a cheerful giver. I begin to see the connection there that not only did the Philippines, or the Philippians, I keep saying Philippines, the Philippians give, they gave cheerfully. They gave cheerfully. Something happens, guys, when I give cheerfully. It once again ought to be a joy for me to give. Something happens when I sow into the kingdom of God. Something happens when I sow into other people's lives. Something happens when I sow into missions, okay? And just like with it can be where I'm a cheerful giver. First Chronicles chapter 29, and this is the third area or fourth you can see today how you can give. Furthermore, King David said to all the assembly, My son Solomon, whom alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced, And the work is great, because the temple is not for man, but for the Lord God. What was the temple? The church. So he tells me right there, the church wasn't so much for people to meet people. It's okay to do that. But the church is a place for people to meet God and God to meet people where we have an encounter with Him. Now that's our prayer right now, that every time you come in here whether it's Sunday mornings, that you have an encounter with God. In the praise and worship, in the prayer time, in the Word, in the altar calls. And this is what the house of God is supposed to be. Where we come in here and God will speak to your heart. Keep reading verse 2. Now for the house of, of my God, this is David talking, I have prepared with all my might, not with a little bit, but with all my might, Gold for the things to be made of gold, silver for silver, silver, 
bronze for bronze, iron for iron, wood for wood, onyx stones, stones to be set, glistening stones in various colors, all kinds of precious stone, and marble slabs in abundance. Now, man, there's some wonderful descriptions of things right here. Think about all the words we just read. David's heart was, man, he wanted the house of God to shine. He wanted the house of God to be incredible. Verse 3. Moreover, because I have set my affection on the house of my God. Now, in that statement alone, it's if David was saying, My heart is in this. I have set my affection on the house of God. Now, here's another question today. Where have you set your affection at? Where have you set your affection at? And it could be different for every one of us. In Matthew 6.21, Jesus said this, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You want to find out where your treasure is? Just look where your money's being spent. And the two verses before verse 21, Jesus said this, that you will either lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and rust will destroy, or you will lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Now, once again, that's your heavenly account. But wherever I spend, whatever my affection is toward, is what ultimately will control me. Now, the very next statement that David will make will will show what accompanies his affection. It wasn't just in talk. Look what he says. Verse 3 again. Moreover, because I have set my affection on the house of my God, I have given. Where did he give? To the house of my God. And how did he give? Over and above. You know what that means? In addition to and beyond. Now this is King David saying this, okay? He goes on to say this. And I have prepared for the holy house my own special treasure of gold and silver. Three thousand talents of gold, of the gold of Orpher, and seven thousand talents of refined silver to overlie the walls of the houses. Now, you know what David says here? I'm going to give lavishly. I'm going to give of my own special treasure. Now, you know what that could look like for me and you? There's times in our life that you may save your money to go on vacation. You may save your money to, to, let's say, buy a car or have a down payment on a house. You may be saving your money for furniture. But periodically, I believe this, that God will move in every one of our, our own lives to say, I want you to give over and above. And you know what he said in my own life? What you do for my house, I'll do for your house. And there's times right there where God will begin to stretch me. And right now, He's really, really stretching me. 
But you know what I'm beginning to see even through the Scriptures? It's a joy. It is a joy. Now keep reading here what takes place here. Verse 5. The gold for things of gold and the silver for silver and for all kinds of the work to be done by the hands of craftsmen who then is willing to consecrate himself this day to the Lord. Now David right there asked the question. And what David does is he's the example and he says, listen boys, this is what I'm going to do. Who of you is willing to consecrate yourself? And so he goes on and says in verse 6, Then the leaders of the father's house, leaders of the tribes of Israel, the captains of the thousands of hundreds, with the officers over the king's work, they offered willingly. They gave for the work of the house of God 5,000 talents, 10,000 derricks of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, and 100,000 talents of iron. And whoever had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord into the hands of Jehiel the Gershonite. Now all this came, guys, to 5,000 tons. You know what, in my paraphrased edition, that's a lot of stuff. That's a lot of stuff. And I want you to go back and think what it said. They willingly gave. How many of you have ever been to something, whether it was a home, a building, a facility, that was just incredible? You looked at how it was built, decorated, and you said, oh my God, this is unbelievable. Could be like a place called Las Vegas, Nevada. Better known as Sin City. And when you go out there and you begin to look at those casinos. And what happens out there is one casino is built and I mean they don't hold nothing back. The next one builds and you know what it says? We've got to outdo this one. We've got to outdo this one. And so there's literally hundreds of those on the strip. And if you were to walk in them, the tile is incredible. The granite, the marble is incredible. Even the blades of grass, their landscaping, they spare nothing. And you walk in, and you look at the ceilings, you look at the chandeliers, you look at everything there to a place that's called Sin City. And no one out there says, they shouldn't have built anything this nice. Actually, I recently read where the Sahara Casino went out of business, a group of investors bought it. They got the land and the existing property, and then they said, we're going to go back in and we're going to refurbish this for $454 million. And you don't hear anybody gripe and complain. It's like, let them build it. That's awesome. But when the house of God does something like that, people moan and groan. Those church folks shouldn't be doing that. I mean, I looked at all that stuff and I said, are you kidding me? Just recently I went to the, the building dedication at Trinity Church. I know Pastor Carl personally. And you know what? When I went in there, it blessed me. I was like, yes. And they spent $14 million on that and I've heard people complain about it. And I looked, guys, even Jesse DePlantis, and many of you know Jesse, the little Cajun who, who's an evangelist. He, he flies every year into the huge airport of Clovis, New Mexico. 
And he touches down on the airport of Clovis, New Mexico. And he goes preaches in my brother's church. And I know the millions of dollars that his private jet that he owned cost. And you know what a lot of people will say? He shouldn't be flying that. He shouldn't have that. But yet when we have pro athletes, when we have entertainments, they can do that. When drug dealers have big planes and we don't think anything about it. You say kind of PO'd. I am PO'd. I'm personally offended. It irritates me. And so I look at this and I think, wow. And we can see the, the millions that are spent on nightclubs. You know what they're doing? They're feeding people death. All that junk. But yet when the church has, and I'm not saying, man, let's go crazy. All right? That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying, let's get the heart of this right here. Keep reading with me, verse 9. Then the people, what? They rejoiced, for they had offered willingly, because with a loyal heart, they offered willingly to the Lord. And King David also rejoiced greatly. Guess why? Because they got the opportunity to give, and they said, yes, we can do this. I'm going to move forward here and I'm going to jump to verse 12 because this is a prayer of praise right here. Both riches and honor come from you and you reign over all. In your hand is power and might. In your hand it is, is to make great and to give strength to all. Now, therefore, our God, we thank you and we praise your glorious name. But who am I? And who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this? For all things come from you. David knew that. Keep reading here. And of your own we have given you. For we are aliens or sojourners, pilgrims or transients before you. As were all our fathers, our days on the earth are as a shadow and without hope. O Lord our God... All this abundance that we have prepared to build you a house for your holy name is from your hand and is all your own. I know also, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure or delight in the uprightness or of integrity. As for me, in the uprightness or the integrity of my heart, I have willingly offered and all these things and now... With joy, I have seen your people who are present here to offer willingly to you. This wasn't difficult, guys. They said, we're going to offer with joy. This is a celebration. And so look how this guy who offered and gave willingly with joy, look how he ends this deal with in verse 18. O Lord, our God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep this forever in the intent of the thoughts of the heart of your people and fix their heart toward you. You know what his prayer was? That they keep this generous spirit forever. And he referred back that Abraham was a man who gave. And Isaac and Jacob and David said, and so am I. 
And I believe when he said forever, this is what the people of God do, that we begin to say, okay, if this is what you're asking us to do, Father God, we're going to do it. And in verse 20, he ends this and he says, Then David said to all the assembly, Now bless the Lord your God. So all the assembly blessed the Lord God of their fathers, and they bowed their heads and prostrated themselves before the Lord and the King. Now, do you get anything in here that they were mad? Do you get anything in here that they were like, Golly, ticks me off that we have to do this. Once again, guys, I'm not telling you you got to do anything. you got to follow your heart in this just like I do. But there's several questions today that have jumped out to me. Does it require faith for you to give? Is there joy when you give? See, if there's not, man, we need God to do something in our heart. Where we have the opportunity to bless someone. How many have ever blessed someone and you said, whatever you do, don't, don't, I don't want anybody to know this is from me. And then you see people come in and it's a pair of shoes or a coat that you've given them. And you look at them and say, man, you look so nice today. And they'll say, man, God blessed me with this. And on the inside, you're sitting there and you're saying, yeah, buddy, yeah. That's joy right there when you get the opportunity to do that. Understand this, guys. The blessing that was upon Abraham in Genesis 12, he said, you're blessed to be a blessing. You're blessed not to be a stingy gut. You're blessed to be a blessing. And once again, whatever you make happen for other people, God's going to make happen for you. And God's desire is for you to be a distribution center where you go through life and say, okay, Father God, when you move on my heart, I'm going to obey you. Thank you for listening to the podcast. For more information, visit faithchurchlubbock.com.